Hello, everyone, and uh, welcome to the Interjections podcast. This is the Undiscovered Decade. We uh, take a look at all the films that came out in the 1990s. We go month by month, and we highlight a film that we think might be considered a hidden gem. And uh, this month, I think, uh, constitutes a particular hidden gem of its own, for sure. Uh, and it actually has a personal connection to one of our uh, quartet. Uh, I don't know if you want to say anything, Jeff. You can introduce the film if you want. Um, yeah, they, well, all right. So an actual hidden gem in the sense that it was only released in two theaters, closed after about a, a couple weeks to a month, and then went straight to video in the UK, um, <laughs> Dogfight, which, um, a few years ago, actually, like I think 2012 or 13, um, they turned into an off-Broadway musical. Um, it was Pascal and Paul that did it. They were the guys that did like Dear Evan Hansen and um, a couple other really Christmas good shows. Story. Yeah, Christmas Story. Um, uh, they're like Lands music. Yeah, um, and so I was involved in. Um, one of the community theater productions of that out here. It was like one of the one of the first performances of the show in New Jersey um, that I got to be a part of with that. And yeah, so it was just I didn't even know that there was a movie that it was based on. So this was actually a real treat to get to watch. Yeah, when we were going through ninety one, we're trying to pick something. We got to September. Nothing seemed interesting, really. Corey will go into it, but uh, it, I saw Dogfight. And I was like, is this the dogfight that you did? We always thought it was an original Pastor Paul thing. See, I didn't know I didn't know what came first, the play or the movie. Definitely the movie. Yeah. And I feel like it was probably based on a book, too. Might have been. I didn't see anything on that. I thought the writer... Came up with it on his own. Yeah. Well, we did. It's it's top notch. Um, and it's it's a very small budget looking film. Like it's 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 got heart. Um, it's got River Phoenix. It's got that's the other big thing we yeah. wanted to focus on this film for. Uh, we get a chance now to talk about River Phoenix's career because two short years later, he passes away uh, outside the Viper Room. So he only has, he, he's about to be in My Own Private Idaho, which is probably his biggest film other than Stand By Me. Uh, and Empty, maybe. Yeah, Running on Empty, he gets the uh, Oscar nomination. I didn't know of that film until I was going through old Oscar nominations, but we were one, two when that came out. So uh this obviously is maybe his least seen film and one of his best performances it was only in theater for like what two months uh, yeah, it was two days <laughs> it it barely constitutes like i they i think they released it for the legally minimum legally required time to qualify for you know theatrical like, why, why did it get like taken like why did it like why was it so like short I didn't I know that, but I didn't this in theaters. I think uh, it was literally just like it was not a big seller, or I don't know. I mean, it's, it's also it, it's one of those stories that you know, having seen it after the musical, I can see where they could pull from to make it like a love. Uh, I mean, it is a love story anyway, but like it it feels a little disjointed as. A movie mm -hmm. um, because you know a large part of it is focused on the, the the love story and then they just sort of gloss over the war part at the end yeah wasn't it the whole second act kind of there was there were several numbers dedicated to that um but you know before we get into that we should get into the synopsis of the movie Sure. So the basic premise is that uh, River Phoenix and his three buddies are part of the Marines about to ship out from San Francisco to go into Vietnam and 
do some pre-war stuff because they don't exactly expect yeah, to they, do they, war. They, was, they, they go in like it's like the movie starts off uh and like him coming back home from Vietnam and then goes into a flashback like There's five minutes in. in. So like the movie's a whole the whole thing's a flashback. Uh but you so know flash, sad. Yeah, they flash back <laughs> to 63. And this is when the, you know, the United States is like barely involved in Vietnam. We we have troops over there, but like they're in an advisory role or support role and we're not like actively involved. Yeah, support uh, was what I was thinking of, like just preliminary stuff. Yeah, yeah. No, we're like tr training the so, South Vietnamese and all that. Thing. It was also that that fairy tale era before JFK got shot. Yeah, there is everything was all fine and dandy. They do mention part. that it's what November twenty first, nineteen sixty three. Yeah, the whole he actually died. The whole right. thing is that his birthday is supposed to be on or around or the same week yeah. as JFK's assassination. Yeah, it's um, it's the twenty second. Well, it's it's, it's the day. Yeah, yeah. It's, the, it's day. the day before the morning yeah. of the end of the film. They, they he ends up staying up late with a girl he meets, which we'll get into more. But um, it ends and he gets on the bus to get back to where he's going to ship off from. And that's the day that Kennedy dies. He's getting on the bus basically around the time Kennedy shot. So yeah, he's going yeah. off as this idealized young soldier, which at the time you still thought, okay, we fought in World War II and we won. This isn't, we're the greatest nation in the world. Yeah. So we can do anything it's, invincible. Well, I think it's for, very, for, the, uh, for the character uh, being a Marine, I think it's more along the lines like, uh, they're marines and uh for him personally because like uh they, they don't really go too much into the uh idealization and more and to the fact that like he's just a typical aggressive well maybe not typically aggressive but like like he he fits the stereotype of a marine and he was recruited because like you know like yeah no like I want to fight like he's like he just like he's got gumption yeah. he's got all this pent-up uh energy and like he's angry for no reason and like he's he's yeah, got to go he's got to do stuff it has kind of a cynical tone toward the fact that um you know they are being fed this ideal of you know you get to go and be a hero you're just going to be an advisor and then you're going to come back there's going to be be a big parade and everything like there's a whole song about that on the show but it's like just them basically being built up as these super confident um you know they're already super confident but just to amp them up to go be killing machines somewhere and even touching that at the end of the movie there's right. a there's that little conversation that they have in the back of the bus which i don't know if you like you we we buy the <laughs> i sell you bullshit we buy bullshit from other people. We mm -hmm. buy bullshit from Uncle Sam. Yeah. It reminded me of uh, a later film, Jarhead. Obviously, we kind of grew up with that. That was more with when we were in college. And that is the Iraq War. And so it has similarities in Jake Gyllenhaal gets disillusioned from being such a powerful person. And he realizes that he's just almost a uh, pawn in the system. And so I think uh, his buddy, who's telling him we sell bullshit to each other, essentially, uh, sometimes you just have to ride the wave and accept what's coming. And either you're a piece of it or you're going to get swallowed alive, you know? That's what I got out of that conversation. I, I wonder if it got pulled out of theaters quick, quickly because, because of the Iraq war. Well, this is what yeah. I was going to get at. It reminds me of, I used to watch Quantum Leap, and this is part of when that was peaking and it reminded me of almost an episode of that where it's like means well and there there's a bit of a message and at the time it, I felt as a child that this was the point at which we were trying to redeem the Vietnam War veterans because all we learned in school was that they were kind of just ignored when they came home and I don't know if that's coming from our generation we don't know that happens at one point towards the end. He goes, "How many babies did you kill?" One of the hippies. Right. Yeah, one one of the uh, one of the side side street San Franciscoans were like, sees him in his uniform, was like, "Yeah," and like that, like how many babies you killed? Because like that was that was yeah. the attitude back then. Right. It was very fresh, so it's understandable coming from that guy. Uh, but I wonder if by 1991, there's this sentiment like we shouldn't be so hard on them. They were just soldiers for the most part. Obviously, 
it's saying the same thing as they're just doing their jobs, but like we still want to be respectful in some way. So I wonder if that's where this came from, at least the script yeah. in the first place. It was showing their their perspective. They're like, you know, leading up to the night that he ships out, but also they they gloss over the three years that he was there, like the mm -hmm. um the end of you know, toward the end of the movie, in the last five minutes of the movie, you see all of his friends get blown up. Um, it does feel kind of rushed. And, and it was just like, oh, oh, okay, that's all right. I was honestly expecting that to happen a lot earlier. Not yeah. that particular event, but like they literally, he ships off on, on, in 63. They show, you know, the news reports about Kennedy dying. And then the next shot is 1966 when he's being shipped home. And it's like there were three years that could have. Yeah. We only yeah. see. We don't know what kind of. We don't know what kind of person. And he, and he comes back. Home. And he comes back home before the Tet Offensive. So like, he, he does like. He's starting. He, he just got a little bit of the shit. He didn't get the, yeah, we the brunt see, of it. We don't see any of it. I could have economized it by cutting down on the cross, cutting back to his friends. Yeah. Because I felt like that was kind of extraneous. Like. You I don't know rousing the whole night. And at one point there's a cameo from a young Brendan Fraser. I don't know if you guys know his yeah. his film debut mm -hmm. was a was a failure. In a in a he was some navy squid, as they call them, that they got into a bar fight with. Because like he was he was he was navy, so they call the navy uh squids. Uh, no, no, back to the uh, his buddies dying. It's weird, like, like the five minutes, no, barely five minutes that they showed that them in actual Vietnam. Uh, uh yeah, actual well, Vietnam. No, actual Vietnam. It, look, it looks I, like it looks like the side of the uh, they borrow the match. It's, it's, it's like, the hills they drove past in the bus. Yeah, that's why I was smiling yeah. the whole time yeah. you were talking about them dying. Because, like, I'm, I'm seeing the scene that they're in Vietnam, like, yeah, they, 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 they have like. If you watch Vietnam films, you look at the soil in Vietnam and you could tell it's it's Vietnam because I it's mean, on the soil. But like that's just me being a nerd. But well, that's um, also like, but, yeah. it's like, a, but like um the thing is like when his buddies die, like in that scene, like you see one of them definitely die. Yeah. Maybe the other one gets wounded. I don't know. Yeah, it, it, it happens so he quickly. gets he, he gets dragged away and then they cut back. Yeah, yeah, and then they cut back, and then like it's inferred that the other the other two no, uh, died as well. Yeah, he just comes back with all the bees on. Yeah, room. that's I was but gonna say a friend. And that would have been more poignant if we hadn't seen any of the Vietnam stuff, and then when he went to the bar, he showed the bees, and you're like, oh, that's oh. in commemoration of all his friends yeah. dying. Yeah, either yeah. either good friends and put in more Vietnam or take Vietnam almost entirely out. That way you're yeah, just like somber. That would have been more of a gut punch, I would have thought. Yeah, actually. Because then I was like, "What? who are these bar people? Like, we're in the final five minutes of the movie. I don't need to have the, some guy shaking his belly. And then you're like, oh, my friend. <laughs> and they're just like, hey, we were talking about tattoos. You got tattoos? Like, here, let me just talk about this plot device that you're going to show. Yeah, but, I guess I guess I get it now that you say it that way. Like, that's how they got him to show it. But that he cut out the Vietnam. That there's a couple of good point. There's a couple but, narrative shortcuts, like when Lily Taylor uh, stomach well, starts and then she goes into the bedroom. It happens to eavesdrop on a very pivotal conversation about the dog fight. Well, right. Okay, let's get back to that. Yeah, we haven't talked about. Let's get back to that. Let's get back to the actual dog fight aspect of this movie, okay. and like because the thing is, it's a love story that happens to take place. Like it's it's sandwiched in between these war flashbacks um but the pivotal moment happens when um you know birdlace played by river and his buddies uh throw what's called a dog fight which is just a party where they don't they they go out and the goal is to find the ugliest girl they can and bring her bring, bring her to this party and just there's like prize money and stuff and it's a really like shitty situation when you think about it but toxic masculinity at, at its best oh yeah this, so, this, so, yeah, this, this film, yeah this film would not fly today no god no uh, an interesting statement on this kind of stuff because lily taylor talks about like why are you this way like you don't have to curse all the time you don't why did you do the dog fight like she at least doesn't 
take his bullshit. Yeah, she calls him out on it. Like, yeah, yeah. And that's that's the thing is like because the he ends up liking her. Like he finds this girl and he's just like trying to sweet talk her into coming to this thing so that he, you know. And that's the thing; they're not like. There's a couple times where he's hesitant about what he's doing. Right. And he tries to kind of guide her away from it because he is like realizing his, you know, he, he's growing a conscience that evening and tries to get her to not go. But she's like, she's a very introverted person who wants to like, he talked her into going to this party. So she's going to go to the party. And like she, she made the decision, the bail on work and work yeah. being work, working with her mother who owns a diner. So she's like, later, mom, I'll be back later. And, and it was like, a very pivotal moment for her, too, because she's like, I never do this. I'm going to go be spontaneous and go to this party with this Marine that just randomly invited me. And so it's like all the more heartbreaking to find out what happened. Um, and one of the other buddies um, brings um, a woman of the night. Tommy Pickles. Yeah. The, uh, really? Oh God! Wait, that was her. Yeah. Yes. You didn't recognize her voice. I'm like, I know the name. The name sounds familiar, but I didn't. Oh my God! The voice of Tommy Pickles was the the yep. from the two from Broadway. Good grief. Um, but Alvin ruined. <laughs> I have seen her. Uh, quite, I don't know. You, have, you we watched Valley Girl together, Corey. Right. She she was in Valley Girl. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, and she was in Dutch, which we talked about like a month ago. Oh yeah, yeah, she oh, was one walkers in that. Oh jeez, why is she a hooker and everything? Oh my god, because <laughs> got one of those faces. I don't know, but then she, um, through a conversation in the bathroom, because Lily Taylor, who played Rose, she gets sick, and then at the same time, um. This other woman and the guy that brought her came into Marcy is the character's name. Um, yeah, and it's the guy that talks about oh. bullshit at the end. And, it's, it's birthday. Right. Yeah, and also just just to, uh, point out her being sick is because she was trying to keep up with the drinking right of, of the Marines. So like, yeah, bad call on that part. She probably had like never drank before that night, but. Yeah, so anyway, and then they, they get them in a room together, and then she she finds out about the dog fight. And then she goes, she punches River Phoenix in the face, and it's just like, I never want to speak to you again, and she leaves. And he was already, like, drinking with regret after, like, during the competition. Competition? And so, you know, following that he just bails on the rest of the party and tries to like find her and apologize. And it was just like, this is maybe 15, 20 minutes in the movie. So you're just like, okay, this is actually going to turn into something. Yeah. Uh, so that's pretty much the rest of the night. They reconcile, they learn about each other. Uh, and like Corey mentioned, they cut back and forth with the buddies, which I don't know that you necessarily need. I don't know how much there was in the play of them back in San Francisco, because I remember it, like you said, Jeff, where they're flashing back from Vietnam to the night that he spent with her, right? Yeah, there are, well, it's, the musical is also bookended by flashbacks. And like the last song is he's singing about and his buddies died and all that. But mm -hmm. um, the, a majority, like the entire night takes place at, at, in San Francisco, and they don't necessarily cut back and forth. I mean, they well, they do as much as you do in, in a normal show. Like, there's the love songs that happen between Rose and Birdlace, and then there's the buddy songs that come in where they're just like, it's us hitting on other girls, and then there was the dogfight number and all that. Yeah, I wonder but, if this lends itself to be a better <laughs> show, or maybe they improved it when they made it a musical. They definitely, Im well, that was the thing. It, it fits perfectly as a stage show. Uh, all they really did was just kind of condense some of the characters. Like the character that I played was not, I wasn't one of the bees, but they like, there were only three bees. And then there were like, they had combined all these other characters that had these lines into like two or three people. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but the other interesting thing is it, it felt kind of disjointed that they kept cutting back to them. But I feel like the intention was to show that, you know, he's having an actual genuine connection. Whereas these guys are just still like he's he's maturing over the course of this night. Whereas his buddies are still getting more and more like they're just they're being they're 19 being themselves. They're being, yeah, they're being themselves. They're being 19. They're being like like they're they're still it's to show that like he's kind of grown and they're still kids when they die. Do you like, think that's why they had him survive because he's the one that matures? Or is that just happening? I think it's just a just, love story that's gotta have to have yeah. well somber. <laughs> Yeah. Happy ending, but you know. I don't think there's any deeper layer to this. No. He goes he goes back and it was just it ends with a hug between I like that. He got uncomfortable because there was like no talking. They just hug each other for a minute and you get this from their eyes. When they're being physically affectionate, they're relatably gawky. there's a lot of his hand on her shoulder. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I liked that though. I like the Listen, what what did I say? What did I say about about Harley and Marlboro? Okay, it's just it's an affectionate friendship movie that did not it did not do well because that people see a movie about Marines and whores and they're like, this is going to be a fucking great flick, and then they go and it's just like, oh, they what is this? They're like enjoying each other's company what the fuck is this that whole midsection where they're getting to know each other i swear to god uh richard linklater must have seen this movie because he's based all those before movies on those conversations very dialogue heavy they're uh, debating their ideologies she's more thoughtful he's more gung-ho like at, at one point they get into that conversation about the trouble with mimi which i've never seen the movie but I've heard is complete trash, which she brings up at one point. Interesting, yeah. I haven't seen it either, but I can imagine. Like, she goes because that's what she has to do. Right. Huh. But yeah. yeah, Also, it's kind of got, like, a pre-Forrest Gump vibe. Oh, that's just the time period, maybe? I mean, sort of. I mean, like, uh, he he goes off to Vietnam, uh, except he's he's, he's not a... uh, naive innocent person he's the like tough river tough guy yeah, yeah. uh and then um rose uh she's not like jenny where she's tough just like and a world weary yeah no she's just a, yeah. she's the naive one but like uh she stays home like she's on the other end of that generation yeah uh you know she joins the well they they peace they she, yeah. she joins the peace corps but like before she does like throughout the movie like she brings it up once or twice it's like i would like to join the peace corps later on when he uh when he comes back and visits her she's got a poster of peace corps in her uh diner which i'm assuming she is running herself now and her mom is retired or something. right that would be um, what i guess and like you it's... see you see her go from like the, throughout the movie the uh typical like early 60s more conservative style of dress of the time to like she's gone like full-blown like uh, more uh, counterculture uh, look yeah. and attire. That's an interesting thing too. They don't point them out, but a lot of the locations they shot in are still in San Francisco and were counterculture spots. Like they went. By the way, you're trying to figure out that museum. I want to go to that museum that they went to. Yeah. Well, you that saw you saw they they were having a conversation in front of the City Lakes bookstore about. I think that's where she brings up that she wants to be in the Peace Corps. And that's still there. And that was where a lot of the beatniks would meet and first perform once yeah, they got yeah, to Yeah, beatniks, proto-hippies. So, um, yeah. Then, like, and she's also, she's also like, like, did we say that she was really, like, really into music? Like, she like, yes. she has a really strong affinity stuff. for it. Like, she like she's in her room. She's got, like, pictures in frames on her wall. Odetta, um, Bob Dylan, of course, Woody yeah. Guthrie. But the funniest thing, he tries to impress her at first to get her to come to the dog fight. I have an interesting thing I looked up as this was happening. Uh, he pretends that there's this singer, Jim Swain. Was no, it? writer. Writer, writer Jim Swain, that wrote that song. I Googled him just to see if it was like someone they had but wasn't famous. There's a Twitter account that is 
like tweeting at Bob Dylan and Woody Guthrie trying to get them to notice him. So, yeah, I like how the name drops Bob Dylan, he just happens to come on the radio next. Yeah. You know, you know there's a filmmaking gaffe in this. I don't know if you noticed this. Hmm. You know, he uh, goes to leave the note on her window. They recycle hmm. the out of him jumping over the fence, only it's extended the second time. Oh. Uh, Oh. I saw a couple times when the four guys were in conversation. Once in a while on the bus, like one would be slash more, one would be looking down. They weren't like they didn't have enough coverage. Yeah, but that's okay. This this had the quality of like a good TV film, which yeah, I mean that's a what the solid, director come from. So a solid lifetime movie. Yeah. Before that was a get away with this kind right. of language in a lifetime movie. Yeah. Especially was, when, when she's talking to the maitre d' at the restaurant. Yeah. That is word for word what it was in the play, I remember. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Just going off and, you know, making making trouble, making good trouble at night. I like how there's no redemptive arc to that host, though. No. That guy didn't give a shit. No, that guy's just a prick. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. But he's a prick prick that's a good buddy. It was more it was more realistic though for him to be like, fuck you, I'm out of here, then yeah, right. I see your point. Yeah, no, nah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I really like Lily Taylor in this. I yeah. thought she did she had a, a, a really emotive expression range i guess i'm trying to say this in a more eloquent way obviously she probably she was acting yeah yeah um sorry i stumbled over my words there but i i just i really liked her um growth throughout the movie because she obviously is pretty naive when he first meets her and she overdoes it with the makeup and she she learns to be soft with him, but also like doesn't take his shit, like Jimmy yeah. was saying. So well, I think she was she, finds she, she was balance. already soft and like she just yeah. learned to be tough. But I think Lily Taylor is uh probably one of the best that could have handled this roles. And yeah. it's unfortunate that it's not seen as much because obviously she gets a little more famous after this, but oh, she actually learned to be more more confident and outgoing, not only because she left her job for the night to go party, mm-hmm. but like uh um her, her uh, little loved up pseudo boyfriend of the night uh, encouraged her to go up on stage to sing. Yeah, that was uh, even even scene. though there wasn't an audience because they went to a, a random club because she wanted to show him some stuff around town. Um, so she met up with like her friends that were closing up the uh, club, and then he's like, "Hey," while they're chilling, he's like, "Why did you go up there and sing?" And like he just kind of just nudges her. So like she she grows too. I feel like I feel like that was the linchpin of the movie, uh, at least what the director might have wanted, because there's all there's this pushing in on both of them as he's smoking a cigarette in the audience and she's playing the piano. Like this is their fate almost, and they're they're on a train unable to stop. So in a way, they both connect at that point and then go their separate ways, but they made each other better. Yeah. So if nothing else, if he doesn't come back to her, at least they can always remember this was part of what made them whole. Yeah. Because the thing is, you know, she doesn't know until like halfway through the night that it's his last night. Yeah. So because he he was afraid to tell her because he didn't want her to think that it was bullshit. Um and so it was like an actual genuine connection there. And then from that point on, they just lean into it. And they're just like, we're just going to do whatever tonight. It's going to be great. Which, interestingly enough, obviously, of course, it's a coming of age romance movie. They end up sleeping together. At the end of the movie, the weird bar guys reference, you know, because yes, like, is, is, is Rose still running the restaurant? And then they say, uh, you know, the mother retired, and now I think they're uh, they're grooming the granddaughter to do it. And I'm like, wait a minute, huh? They never they never address it again. So do you think that it's Birdlace's daughter? Probably. Yeah. Is he was up in the play? Are we it it's referenced, I think. Actually, yeah, I don't but it's not, not like, yeah, no, actually, no, I don't think it was ever 
you don't see a, a little girl run up or anything, but it's just well, grandma's probably taking care of her. She's only three. <laughs> Mom's that's running the, the show. That's the thing is they don't address it in the movie, and it's just sort of what happens after the hug, you know. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I like that. There, there was some subtlety in that. I feel like it was a good place to end, but this is also something that, like, in the grand scheme of things, maybe could have been expanded into, like, a miniseries. Like, a, a more... Like, a, a like band of brothers with more, you know, lovey-dovey stuff. Yeah, this could have been a nice little three-night miniseries on ABC. Yeah. Or something. yeah. yeah. But, I don't know. It's just... It, so, it's an interesting thing to think about they never address it one way or the other but it's just sort of a throwaway line that the dude with the belly dancing tattoo says yeah that makes and it oh wait did did they have a daughter that night like what are we doing yeah that is a nice little subtle touch see yeah. i also I, for some reason i didn't think they consummated it i, Why was, not? I don't know because the <laughs> Use your, use your head, Corey. Come on. A Marine about to ship out. Plus, she did put more clothes on when she got in the closet. So I don't know. It was 1963. She didn't have lingerie. The underwear was just longer. She than didn't anyway. Like, and besides, it's a nightgown. Like, you know, yeah, you don't want to mess up the bed with all the fluids. That's what the nightgown's for. Right, like, oh, right. come on, come on. Things had a purpose back then. Mm-hmm. Looking for or so I tell myself. I don't know. <laughs> I really don't. Uh, side note, I think this also did for a short time hold a record for most F-bombs in a PG-13 movie. Really? Really? Oh, because it barely came out. Was it PG-13 or was it R? I don't know. It was just... I, like, no, it was, for, it was R. I, when, we, when we put the... When we put the it was DVD. R because of all of the swearing. Yeah, I, I just yeah. assumed R. But I didn't know you saw it. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, right up in the corner. Oh, good. Um, yeah, I liked it. I, I wanted to point one thing out to you. This this writer, Bob Wisdom, uh, he only wrote one other film, and it's an interesting thing. I just want to read you. Comfort. Hmm? Was it Wisdom or Comfort? Oh, yeah, there's another. There's a they both have really weird, like, spiritual names. So. Yeah, Bob Wisdom, someone else. Uh, Bob Comfort wrote this film. And I'll read you the plot. It is called Good Luck. Have you ever heard of this, Corey? No. So it's Vincent D'Onofrio and Gregory Hines. Hey, we know uh, what Hines, Hines plays a former dental student who had to quit school just before finals because of a car accident that left him paralyzed and in a wheelchair. D'Onofrio plays a former pro football player who was blinded in a freak accident on the field. And before their accidents, Byrne had been a tutor for Oli, which is uh, D'Onofrio. And uh, they team up to enter a whitewater rafting race. So that's, those are the only two things this guy's ever written. So it's just interesting. I, I wonder to myself where he got his inspirations for both of these. That's, that's why I brought this up. And it's an odd pairing that I'd never heard of. So Was, was he a veteran? He got paralyzed and went whitewater rafting. You don't know. Maybe. <laughs> was he a veteran who then tried to go whitewater rafting as a there's nothing you can find other than these two films. He also wrote a little bit of uh, TV, like a couple episodes of stuff, but which is also Nancy Savoka, I'm assuming is the pronunciation of her name. This yeah. is really the only film she's ever done. She did a lot of made-for-TV films as well, which I think is where you get the quality. So I'm fine with it. Yeah. But I can also see why it disappeared pretty quickly. Yeah. Again, people in 1991 were not looking for heartfelt emotional connection to movies yeah they wanted action comedy they wanted the last three minutes of the movie for most of it yeah because all the buddies getting blown up they're like let's yeah. do more of that for like about another hour well they had air america the year before so yeah didn't satisfy them enough also i love how i i you didn't talk enough about how anthony clark was also in this movie who was Anthony uh, Clark? He was. He was the southerner. Oh, the guy from Yes, the Dear. guy was just like 
He was the one who said – I get the three Bs the same as the others, right? Interestingly enough, a lot of, like, the songs and plot points and stuff came from his, uh, you know, lines that that he threw out. Like, that was Hmm. interesting. But I don't think his character carried over. That's weird. Hmm. I don't know what he... He was my favorite of the other three. He was Oki, which was, like, what was his his real name? I forget, because they talked about... Obviously, obviously it's a B. Yeah. (laughs) But like Oki was never a character, so I think it was just like translated to something else, or maybe he was the he was the fourth B that was deleted. Yeah, because yeah, I remember there were three in your play. He was um, the best of the group. Did you? Yeah. Did you uh, recognize the the shorter Italian dude that was of their four friends? I called him Vinny. Yeah, he's the other guy that's not um, the karate kid in my cousin. Yeah, Ralph Macchio. So, yeah, that's kind of cool. And then also. I swear I, I saw one of the the Marines when they were all getting on the bus was Dr. Green from ER. He's too famous at this point. Uh, yeah, it, wait, in 1991? Yeah. He was well, he's from Revenge of the Nerds. And so he'd been what, making movies. The very first episode we did, we talked about a movie he was starring in. It just didn't do well. So then he ended up going to ER. He was the most famous person when ER started. Yeah. Huh. Clooney was this guy that had been in like Revenge of the Killer Tomatoes, and Noah Wiley was a newcomer. I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Revenge yeah. of the Killer Tomatoes. Yeah. So and and Clooney had been in a separate ER that was more dramatic with uh, Adam Martin. So he was a little known, but it was he was more of a TV actor. Well, well, um, Anthony Green had been in, or no, Anthony Edwards. Edwards is it's Doctor Green. Uh, had been in dozens of films by then. He was so. in Top Gun. He was Goose. Oh yeah, Top Gun. Not just Revenge of the Nerds. Top Gun's the biggest thing he's done. Oh, all right. And gotcha. Well, and some guy that looked like him. I'm a big fan of uh, ER. So yeah. nerd. Loved Doctor Green the most too. I was too. That's a good ogre, by the way. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so I know that I would give this an A minus. I was surprised how much I liked it. Honestly, it, uh, it was very poignant for me, and I think that it contributes or is contributed to by Lily Taylor's performance. And I guess maybe the fact that I'm getting to see some River Phoenix. All I'd really seen was Stand by Me. So I would go with A minus as well. I think he gives. I think he actually gives like a really nuanced, extraordinary performance. And mm-hmm. I haven't seen. I, yeah, like you said, other than Stand by Me, I haven't seen a lot of stuff with him, which I'm hoping I should. I should probably go back and rewatch a lot of that stuff. We should definitely check out my own private Idaho because that's what I hear is one of the. That's coming up. That performance. That's next yeah. month. It's also Keanu, which we another actor we all love. Yeah, and so. actually, this does have kind of a Gus Van Sant kind of vibe to it too. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I think they got great chemistry, and I think uh, what could have been like a very like one note play is actually a little more layered and multifaceted than it could have been. Because I was yeah. worried that it was going to be just that misunderstanding, and that he was going to try to redeem himself the rest of the night. Yeah, and that he was going to be very unquaffed, and that was just going to it was just going to be a clash of a snob versus a slob. Mm-hmm. a lot more to it than that so yeah I also, a minus a minus okay um i also in the ensuing years since i saw your play jeff i kind of forgot everything that happens in it so it was kind of a fresh thing for me i don't know how you felt about it no I, mean, I enjoyed it um like i was also kind of viewing it through the lens of you know, when you watch adaptations, um, you know, a musical adaptation of a movie. So I was watching it through that lens um, and it held up like it was it was more or less a one to one thing. They just added songs and definitely leaned into the fact that um, that Rose was into music. because um, She's got a couple solo songs and stuff like that, but I definitely an A. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was just. I enjoyed it. It was, and even, I think, 
even if I wasn't in the show, like it, it would have been, I, I, I teared up. Yeah. Uh, and I really, it, it was one of those things where not only was it a great movie, but it was one of those things that made me wish that uh, River Phoenix was still around. Yeah. You know, it's just, it was, he was definitely like coming into his own as an adult actor at that point. Yeah. This is um, like right when he was about to peak. Yeah, it was like two or three movies before his last movie. It was like Dark Bloods, I think, was his last one that was never finished because he didn't shoot enough of the movie. Yeah. Looking here after this, I saw that that actually got completed and released in 2012, right? Yeah. I've got to look more into that, but... <laughs> I never heard of it, so... Uh, but that's actually something I brought up to Jimmy. There was... When he's waiting for Rose to change upstairs, he's leaning against the car, and I looked at Jimmy, and I'm like, he looks like Joaquin Phoenix right here. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it, it just makes me uh, miss what we could have had. So, yeah. What would you give it, Jimmy? Uh, I don't know. I'm kind of torn between like a B plus and an A minus because like uh, really, it's, it's that that last five to ten minutes, man. That, that's what that's what drags it down. It was a little really, weird. yeah. Um, I mean, it's not a bad ending. It's just how rushed it feels. The Vietnam part. Yeah. You know, you excise that. I think it might have bump me up to an a plus yeah so just because like, if he shows that the thing Corey came up with like fixes that entirely yeah <laughs> just have I mean, him do the tattoo and it's yeah. a more gut punch yeah no so like yeah I, i'm like i'm kind of torn uh torn between like a you know a b and an a on it so like either b plus or a minus uh, if only we'd all agree we could have had four b's thank <laughs> 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 you <laughs> I mean, with, 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 with the two A minuses, <laughs> a solid A and a B plus ish, uh, the average is an A. So, like, yeah, yeah, we all like this. I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I'm, sur pretty good I'm surprised for myself. It was, it was a great movie. Yeah. Well, we lucked out because I don't know what else we dismissed from September, but I feel like we had to have a really good reason other than uh, there, was one, there was one great movie. In my opinion, that came out, but it's not really an underrated gem because people talk about it pretty consistently. Uh, Terry Gilliam's The Fisher King. Oh, right. Okay. I love it. It's, it might be my favorite Terry Gilliam movie other than Brazil, but it's got uh, great dual performances from uh, Jeff Bridges, uh, Robin Williams, and uh, I don't want to give too much away, but they, they recontextualize the King Arthur myth into uh, modern day New York. Got it. But uh, I love the movie. I don't know if anybody else has seen it. Nope. I, need I only remember our friend Pat brought it up when we were in high school and he was he was raving about it and I just had never gotten around to it. See, I, I always wanted to watch it because um, when I was working on student films in college, whenever we were shooting like an exterior in the city, um, whenever some passerby would be like, oh, what are you guys filming? Like the producer would always say, Fisher King too. <laughs> like that was that was the go-to answer. I'm like, all right, that... that's actually kind of clever. We should we should do that. Yeah. That's yeah. I wish I'd known that. I thought of that as a young people. Well, then I learned that the go-to was mayonnaise commercial. Guys, they're never really filming a mayonnaise commercial. I'm sorry to break it to you. Mayonnaise commercials are not that interesting. But I'm sure you knew that. Right. Or, or, or uh, you know, it was like cigarette commercial. Yeah, cigarette commercial. Can't actually do it anymore. So yeah. it was like, no, we're filming, uh, <clears throat> filming a sequel. Debbie goes to New York. Are you guys filming Jersey Shore yeah. reunion? Well, that actually happened to some friends of ours. <laughs> so I know people that worked on it. Wait, on Jersey Shore? On the Jersey Shore reunion. Yeah. We have, oh, wow. We have friends in the industry. So. You guys I mean, you, you know somebody that was sort of in Jersey Shore. Listen, in the background, you keep bringing it up, but then refusing to talk about it. Big T. Yeah, you can't, because, you can't do because, that. Because I'm <laughs> going to let you guys go suffer the agony of playing Where's Waldo and find me in the background background somewhere in season one, because I went to a place for narrowing it down. birthday, and then next thing I know, I see a bunch of assholes walking around being followed by cameras like, oh, God, what is this nonsense? They stand right next to me at the bar. Bump, bump. But can I enjoy my drink? 
And then six to eight months later, oh my God, Jimmy's on the TV. I run upstairs, check out the TV, see myself on the Jersey Shore, and I immediately want to kill myself. So Jimmy's bitter. I don't want to talk know. about it beyond that. Yeah, I didn't know this was happening or this was going to happen. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to get off on under that. Shame. Are you back on topic? No. Oh. So there's a, a movie that came out that was a dud, which sounds good on paper, called Company Business. It has Gene Hackman, Mikhail Baryshnikov, and it's directed by Nicholas Meyer, who made arguably the best Star Trek movie. And it's supposed to be a buddy action movie in which they're doing like kind of a Bridge of Spies thing where they're swapping uh, <clears throat> agents, an American mm-hmm. agent, Russian agent, and then they have to go on the land to find out why. But it's, it's just inert and shapeless. I was really disappointed in it. Mm. Yeah, I'm actually glad because this was, I, if I remember correctly, we were almost going to go into it because we're like, oh, Gene Hackman again. Yeah. Maybe we'll do that. And then we're like, dogfight, no. <laughs> um, underrated entry in this long-running horror franchise, in my mind, Freddy's dead. I think Robert England is very gleeful in that movie. I like comedic Freddy in that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This might have been okay to talk about, but it's, you know, part of a franchise, I guess. Though yeah. we'll be doing that in December, so I don't know. Um, no. One of Sean Penn's, it might be his first directorial effort, The Indian Runner. Oh, I've, I've seen, seen this. You have seen it? Yeah. Oh, so maybe you could describe it a little more. Uh, it's got David Morris, Vigo Mortensen. Have you seen it? Mostly set in a bar, right? This is almost play like. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, it has ties to Vietnam because the one brother can't relate to the other one because he had this war experience yeah off from the world i've never seen it i've always wanted to see it is it worth seeing it's pretty good especially if you're a vigo mortensen fan he's the brother that went to vietnam so it's basically your story and i think this is another thing i have in the back of my head like we were talking about with um trying to contend with what we did in vietnam and how the soldiers were when they came home this is probably one of the first ones that really showed a person that derailed their whole life because they can't do it themselves and he ends up becoming a drunk and so david morse doesn't understand how he can help him and that's the basic plot i don't need to go into any more but they're very good together um but especially if you're a vigo fan i think i think you'd like this he gave he gives one of his best performances in my opinion honestly and it's very early on like i i hadn't heard of him until yeah gi gene perfect murder this was like uh, of uh leatherface texas chainsaw 3 that he was in that's the only other thing i'd seen him in around this time period oh um a movie that i think got a barely a theatrical release it's produced by hbo though wedlock which is directed by Louis Teague, who did Alligator, Cujo, some other creature features. It's Rutger Hauer and Mimi Rogers are sent to like this futuristic prison where it, it's such a stupid premise. Like you'll find the loopholes right away in this premise. Actually, the, uh, the warden comes up with the concept that if he puts a collar around somebody's neck and another prisoner, they have to be within a certain proximity of each other. And if they try to run away, then one of their heads explodes. Mm. I like the idea, but... Yeah, but you can figure out so many loopholes within that. But you're not supposed to know who your wedlock partner is. Mm. That's how they keep it a mystery. But there's like 20 prisoners in this whole place. The the process of elimination is not that hard. Yeah. Uh, The one cool thing is the supporting cast because one of the prisoners is Dane Trejo, of course. uh, The warden is... Steven Tobolowski. What? <laughs> yeah, he's the best part of the movie. He's so much fun. Uh, it's weird seeing somebody that nebbishy be sadistic. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, those were the movies of the month, aside from the poster boy that we're going to... That's the thing. There really weren't that many this month either. So it was like, it basically came down to, would it be... There were other ones I glossed over, but they weren't they weren't worth talking about yeah for sure uh let's see here you go jeff all right so it's my turn i was gonna ask you might as well just like try to guess 
what plot you can from this basic idea. Okay. All right. Now here's the thing. I know I've seen this poster before. I have. I still have no idea what the hell it's for. Um, all right. So we've got. It's a. a it's a football with a spur on the back, smiling with a gold tooth, aviators, a cowboy hat, and uh, longhorns on it, flying through the air above um, Polaroids of a bunch Good of random man. people. One looks like, is that Sinbad? Good Scott? job. I, I blinked out their names to see if you could get them. Okay, I got Sinbad, I got Scott Bakula, I got... Oh God, the guy all the way on the right. I don't remember his name, but I know that Boy. he is. Wait, the guy all the way on the right? It's your boy from uh, Pretty Woman. He was oh, that. That's okay. fun. He was the yeah, the man who did for Pretty Woman. I barely recognize him uh, like in the photo. Yeah, um, I mean, very small. So I wasn't sure Jeff I was going to be. I'm I'm surprised. And I think. Uh, oh my God, the guy all the way on the left. I know. Is some sort of like not Walter well, Matthau, but like I got him confused with Walter Matthau a lot. He's about the same age. I will also reveal them in two spots because I get the tagline that's near the uh, football first. That's the little cloud. Right. And there's also a cartoon potato, perhaps of some sort. I don't. <laughs> Maybe an I don't know. Um. Okay. So why don't yeah. you guess both a title and a plot? I think the plot might be easier. Okay, the plot, uh, the Cowboys are finally going to win the World <laughs> Super Bowl. World Series. World Series. Shut up. <laughs> I don't okay, sports, World Series man. is about to happen. It's understandable. No, the thing is, I don't, I don't sports. But um, so it's got something to do with a bunch of hokey football players. Uh, Texas State, perhaps. Um Watch this Oklahoma. I I don't know somewhere where there's cattle. Well, the uh, horns would. And I feel like it's it's kind of like an an underdog story uh, with with just they're trying to. I feel like all of these people are involved in a betting pool. Um, sort of like proto fantasy football, and they're just trying to get their team to win. And then there's all sorts of chaos and mischief that happens to prevent them from winning and it's just like a bad luck football team like the cowboys you know yeah i kind of like i don't know football but i know that much i know they suck i kind of like the fantasy football angle that might make an interesting film today but fantasy football was nowhere near as big as it is now that betting is online well that's what that's what i'm saying like proto fantasy football like these guys were just like you know betting on Beard, and then there were right, like football was like in your buddy's like basement yeah. or my, garage. My and, like, dad ran a league for a couple of years where he had he just found the stacks of paper that he had to write out every week to hand out to his coworkers. So it's your dad was a bookie. Hmm? That was a bookie. I knew it. So knew it. like ten TVs in his house. I knew it. I'm going to give you the tagline, but do you want to guess the title right before I do that? I mean... Guess the title? Yeah, I mean... Long shot? Gonna... I don't... Long Say... shot? Long shot? Hmm. No. Um, Here, the tagline. Basketball. No. <laughs> Here you go. All right, here's the tagline. This gang of loners, loonies, and losers are about to become something they've never been before. A team. Hmm... Hmm. The longest yard. <laughs> <laughs> now you say you don't sport, so you might not get the title. It is a play uh, on football stuff. Is it touchdown? Is it something down? Is it out of bounds through the goalposts? The movie. I don't. No. Is this just all? All I'm saying. This 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 football character seems very. This is like if Billy Bob Thornton got like hit with a Harry Potter spell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just a football for life. Yeah. I think that would make a better movie. Maybe I've seen some of this. It's not that great. Yeah. Um, 
right. I'm going to uncover their names for now, just so you can see the other people. Hector something. It's in bed. I, I can't read this anyway. It's also too small, I think. You're yeah, the manager. Oh, it's Robert Loggia. Is that yeah, that's the one. And then the mascot. Oh, and then the Kathy mascot. Ireland. Scott Bakula, I got. And I can't make out the other woman next to Scott Bakula. I never. Harley and something. And then yeah. Sinbad and what was the Hector L. L Hector Elizondo. That's the one. I'm like, I know that guy. I know. All right. Uh, so one last guess at the title, and then I'll just give it to you. Uh, oh my God. Um, it's a play oh, on a violation. Hunt. First down. Yeah. Flag yeah. on the field. All right. Yellow card. I'll put you out of your misery. <laughs> Necessary roughness <laughs> is the name of the title. I'm going to give you. I a never would have gotten that. I'm going to give you like a half point or two. Just because you recognize Sinbad and Scott Bakula in such tiny pictures. And you got the basic idea. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's easy enough to figure out this is basically like a major league, but for football, right, Corey? Yeah. The only difference is instead of having to win the championship, all they have to do to con- be considered a uh, success is win one game. Ha. Huh. Really? So they lose a lot. They win one game. Huh. So it's not even that much of an incentive yeah not, not really no but you're right mm. the movie's pretty mediocre they made a tv show out of this really really uh, tnt or tbs yeah hmm. about like a decade ago really what yeah. huh i'd never heard of it. the original cast is in it yeah um ran for a few seasons i mean the idea of only having to win one game is it, it's the amount that football actually plays you know you only have like 15 games a season 16 now 17 now actually starting this season at least in the nfl so you know it isn't as big as 162 games that the the cleveland indians have to win in major league or, or at least to get a majority of those and then the world series you know so i can see why they only did one game but this doesn't lend itself to immediate comedy i think that the quality of major league comes down to the different people they got like i love scott Bakula, but no he's not really one to carry a movie kind of not... yeah he's a tv guy yeah he's uh unfortunately but he's not on the quantum levels of acting i just like to think that everything that scott I, I, Bakula is I, in is just quantum leap canon like he left actually the very first episode he leaps into a baseball player yeah but i mean like everything past quantum leap and like even before quantum leap quantum leap was just it was the timey-wimey thing of scott Bakula's life and he just yeah. i mean then he followed Bakula so he jumped into the future he jumped into uh the naval yard in new orleans he he jumped into a man of a certain age yeah so. that sounds gay so <laughs> we're gonna move on i have a surprise for you i don't expect any of you read the guide but for our pick of the month we could have easily done like a river phoenix but like I expected, most of us really had only seen Stand By Me. So I figured to have such a short career, I didn't want to bring that up. So I was thinking, given that this is his film debut, what's your favorite Brendan Fraser film? Oh. Time to open up the old I am. I'm going to beat you to it, the mummy. Yes. Yeah, no, I, I know. It's it. okay. Yeah. I had a bad. Wait, no, what am I doing? What are we talking about? Blast from the past. There's a good yeah. one. That is a good one. Gods and Monsters. Ooh, that's a great one. Uh, I'm going to give you one that I don't know that the other two of you would have heard, but I know Corey knows this. Uh, What was it? Quiet American. Never seen it. That would have been the other one I would have said. I've heard it's good. He's with Michael Caine. It's a remake of a, is it a war film? Uh, It's set in Vietnam in the aftermath. Hmm. Uh, so the one that I got, it's a little more of a fluff film, but it's a romantic comedy that he did in the mid-90s called Mrs. Winterborn. Oh, yeah. 
which I don't know. who who uh, yeah Ricky Lake that's what I was gonna ask it's him and Ricky Lake as a couple they meet up during a train accident I think it is yeah and Shirley McLean takes him in and in the mid 90s she had a bunch of weird films Shirley McLean and this was one of them and mom was fascinated with her so we'd watch those a bunch because they were always on like TNT and this this was the first thing I knew Brendan Fraser from. Then he did The Mummy, and he blew up. Right. So, but yeah, I think I knew him from Encino Man. I did. That. I did see Encino Man, but after Winterborn, I hate that movie. No, Encino Man. I hate it. Oh what? No, it's all right. Is it's, it okay. it's, not, it's not a great. It's not. It's not a great movie to be honest. Is it? In is my it, opinion, I like Sean Astin in it. Brendan Fraser is fine, but he's just he's there to be like he's a caveman. A caveman. Yeah. That's amusing, but that's like a Phil Hartman sketch gone on too long. Is it Polly Shore that bothers you though? Yeah, yeah, I can't stand him in that. He's shrill. The only thing I love Polly Shore in is a goofy movie because you don't actually have to see him. Ah, uh, the weasel. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, that's our show uh that's dogfight uh i hope you enjoyed our discussion of it i hope you'll seek it out obviously we spoiled everything but you'll catch it before we all talked about it you should know that if you're watching this have our own dogfight no uh Uh, no however we're going to have what could be a guest to a dogfight of a film next month we're going to be taking a look at the screen debut of one Vanilla Ice in his big, big movie, Cool as Ice. Is this a hidden gem? Or uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I'm hoping I'm hoping we uh, unearthed another hidden gem. So yeah. Hidden gem straight out of the litter box. Mm, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> It is kind of a 90s thing to look at Vanilla Ice and see what that meant to culture. So, What it meant to America. Yeah. Hit that outro. Well, Ice 2024? You'll be our next president. I hope oh. <laughs> Anyway, just remember to rate, subscribe, uh, review, comment. Uh, we appreciate everything uh, that you send our way. So uh, we'll see you next time. All right.